Thank you, worship team. Good morning again. Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, as we prepare ourselves to study God's Word today. Our scripture reference is Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, and that's located on page number 1163 in the church Bibles, and we'll be starting the fourth chapter of the Apostle Paul's Letter of Joy. I've entitled the sermon this morning, Joy in Standing Firm. And the reason for this is that this text is really about the stability of the church. It's about how we can be strong, how we can be secure, and it's about how we can be firm as we eagerly await the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, the church is waiting. Last week when Pastor Flack was here, uh, he went through Philippians chapter 3, and he spoke about the struggle of believers, how we are to keep pressing on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. And we learned as Christians that we are called to persevere, to press on under pressure. And there is a, a pressing that is common to the Christian experience because we have the understanding that our citizenship is in heaven. That this is not our home. This is not where we belong. And, and part of that pressure, that pressing, is because Christians, as the Scripture said from last week, are waiting. Paul said, we eagerly await our Savior, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like His glorious body. And so we eagerly await. We press on. We persevere. There's, there's a struggle to stand firm when we're waiting for the Lord. And uh, if you permit me, I just want to talk about our church for just a little bit, where we're at right now as a congregation. Talk a little bit about our pastoral search. And, and I'm not talking about pastoral search specifics, just about where we are. And... Uh, it came to mind that, that we're going on our second Thanksgiving without a senior pastor, and pretty soon Christmas is going to be upon us. And I thought that it would be appropriate during this time to give thanks to the Lord, because the Lord has been very faithful to our church during this transitional time. The Lord has been very good. And I think it's appropriate for, for me to... Uh, offer a word of thanks, especially a word of thanks to our congregation. During this time of transition in our church, I, w- I wouldn't say that our church has really slowed down at all, would you? No, no, not at all. Uh, during this time of transition, um, I know that there are a lot of folks here who are shouldering extra workloads to keep up with the demands in the ministry. And I understand that with church commitments, Folks here have family commitments, they have work commitments, and uh, I realize that there are probably some here this morning who are a bit overdue for a little bit of a break. And uh, I understand that there is, there is a pressing that comes with shouldering all these commitments while patiently waiting on the Lord to provide for us a senior pastor. So this morning I would just like to say this Thanksgiving that I am very thankful for all of the folks here 
who have stood firm during this transitional time at Memorial. And second, I would like to say that I am still praying and waiting on the Lord eagerly to provide for us a senior pastor in his time. So I want to encourage you this morning with this Scripture reference from Galatians 6.9, which says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And that the Lord is faithful. So we stand firm and we press on in Christ this morning. And as we do, we should have joy in standing firm. Well, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 through 9 is all about how we can stand firm as we press on in joy. So I'd invite you to please stand with me as I read Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, and then please remain standing for a word of prayer afterwards. Paul says, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Eodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, Help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we give you thanks for your peace, that you are a God who is always there for us, who is ever faithful, who never leaves us nor forsakes us, a God who loves us unconditionally, and a God who demonstrated the extent of that love through your one and only Son. This morning, as as our church has so very much to be thankful for, I pray that you would give us the strength that we need. Lord, we know from your word, that we can do all things through you who give us strength. Lord, give us the strength this morning to stand firm. Help us, Lord, to be faithful unto you. Allow us, Lord, to apply your words to our lives. And Lord, when we do, when we give thanks, we thank you that you provide for us your peace to help us. We pray, Lord, this morning that uh, you would be honored and glorified and uh, we give this time to you. We pray this again in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. 
Well, this morning we're going to get right into the text. We have a lot to cover. And as I mentioned before, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 through 9 is all about how the church can joyfully stand firm in the Lord. And many of the subtitles in your Bibles, if you, if you look at it, uh, by this section of the text, you'll see uh, it says exhortations, meaning encouragements or counsels. And what the, Paul, what the Apostle Paul is doing in this text is he's providing the church in Philippi with some very specific applications. And I call them, if you're looking in your bulletin notes and you'd like to follow along this morning, six specific stand firm church commands. And what Paul is saying is, as you eagerly await Christ's return, as you press on towards Him, here's some things for you to work on to create stability in the church. Paul says, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. You see, Paul is about to give the Philippian church some pretty direct counsel, some straight talk. And and before he does, notice what he does. He affirms his love for the church as a gracious and loving pastor would. Before before the direct counsel, he affirms his praise for them. I like uh, Dale Carnegie once said, you know, before you have something hard to tell somebody, it's good to begin with affirmation. Kind of like how a barber lathers a man before he shaves him. That's precisely what needs to happen. And this is what Paul does. He affirms the Philippians and then he counsels them to stand firm in the Lord. When I preached on that phrase, stand firm. We've heard this before, remember, when I preached in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. I talked about this phrase, stand firm in the Lord. Remember, stand firm in the original language, that's just one word, which was used actually of a soldier standing guard. The picture is of a, of a soldier defending his position or keeping watch. So Paul says, church, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm there in the grammar is what they call a present imperative. It is the theme. It ties together the the previous verse with the therefore, and it is also the theme of the verses that are following. Now, how do we do this? Well, the very first of the six stand firm church commands that Paul gives us is to, if you're looking along in the blanks, reconcile personal conflicts while advocating harmony. I'll say that again. Reconcile personal conflicts while advocating for harmony. Paul says, I plead with Eodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. You see, there was a situation going on in the Philippian church. There was a a personal conflict. This probably was not a doctrinal conflict, otherwise Paul would have addressed it. But there was a personal conflict between these two women. And it must have been substantial because Paul had heard about it some 800 miles away. So in this two-pronged approach, Paul publicly counsels the women to be reconciled and he counsels the church to get behind this this peacemaking effort. And, and I just want you to imagine what this would have been like in real time. I want you to imagine Paul gives this letter maybe to Epaphroditus and he goes all the way back to Philippi and he's reading this scroll in front of the church and imagine 
you know, there's these two feuding women and one is on one side of the church and another's on the other side of the church. And as Paul, or I should say, as maybe Epaphroditus uh, reads the words of Paul, chapter 1 all the way through chapter 3, there's, there's amens, there's, there's tears, and then he names these women from the pulpit. I bet you probably could have heard a pin drop when that happened. Can you imagine sitting in church and having your name called? Paul says, Iodia, which interestingly enough means sweet smell. He says, I urge you. He says, Syntyche, which means pleasant. I urge you, agree in the Lord. The word agree here in the original language uh, means being of the same mind. Other translations have the word harmony. It's actually the exact same word that Paul uses in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, when he says, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one mind. And I want you to notice this morning, when it comes to this conflict, Paul, he doesn't discuss the details. He doesn't take sides. He's not concerned about who started it or who was right, or who was wrong. All of those things are significant. What is urgent is harmony in the church. Harmony in the church supersedes these personal differences. And and let me tell you, if you've been a part of a church for any length of time, I'm sure you've had a time where you've experienced some kind of personal disagreement. And, And that happens in, in church environments. And I remember one of the things that, that Pastor Craig used to say, and, and he did his fair share of mediating conflicts and, and counseling people toward restoration. And uh, I remember what he used to tell me, he'd say, he'd say, Nick, you know, for all the time you spend in counseling, for all the time that you spend helping people be reconciled to each other, it's really not that hard. He'd say, it's really not that hard. I remember he'd say, what it all comes down to is if people would just kill their pride and humble themselves before the Lord, there is no conflict that is irreconcilable. But people need to kill their pride and humble themselves before the Lord. I'll tell you, peacemaking and mediating is is hard work. And this is why the Apostle Paul, uh, he counsels the, the, the loyal yoke fellow and Clement to help and advocate for harmony in the church because harmony within the church, this is an urgent matter. Well, our second of the six specific stand firm church commands that Paul gives us is to persevere when joy is difficult. Persevere when joy is difficult. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. I'll tell you, there's nothing like mediating a conflict to remind us why we need to persevere in joy. Uh, John MacArthur once said about this verse, he said, the repetition here presupposes the reality that it is not always easy to be joyful. And that's so true. Joy is necessary, but it's not necessarily easy. And I mean, that's what the book of Philippians is all about, isn't it? 
having joy regardless. Joy when times are tough. Paul has joy while he's in prison. Joy in persecution. Joy in suffering. Joy in perseverance. In pressing on. In pressure. In these personal conflicts. And while I'll say that that joy is, is harder than happiness, we need joy because it's only joy that can withstand the pressure and the trials. James Montgomery Boyce once said, Joy is supernatural. Joy is the Christian virtue. Happiness is the virtue of the world. There's all the difference in the world between them. Happiness is entirely external. It's circumstantial. It is not that way with joy. Joy issues from the nature of God and it is intended to well up within those in whom God's Spirit dwells. There may happen to the Christian, excuse me, things may happen to the Christian that no one, including the Christian, would be happy about. But there can still be joy. I love the story of of Fanny Crosby. Uh, For folks who are familiar with Fanny Crosby, she uh, was one of the most famous hymn writers. She has written so many wonderful hymns of the Christian faith, hymns like, like Blessed Assurance, All the Way My Savior Leads Me, To God Be the Glory. Fanny Crosby lost her sight when she was six weeks old, and she lived into her 90s. And on her 92nd birthday, she cheerfully said, If in all the world you can find a more joyful person than I am, do bring him to me. I would like to shake their hand. I think about that and I think, wow, how is that possible? It's possible because the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Number three of our specific stand firm church commands that Paul gives is to reveal a spirit of gracious humility. Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And and there's a theological point here that the Lord's presence is near to the humble. The psalmist says in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And so Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. That, That word gentleness it's probably something different if you have a different translation. It doesn't have a real good English equivalent. In fact, it has a richer meaning than any English word can convey. It's been translated as gentle spirit or reasonableness or moderation or forbearance or graciousness. It carries with it the idea of mercy and grace towards the failures of others. In the context of church life and personal conflicts, it's a reminder to us that we who have been forgiven much should not be stingy when it comes to grace. No Christian should withhold forgiveness. Folks, I just want to remind you, if if you're a believer in Christ today, if you're a Christian, we need to remember that there was a time when we were desperately lost in our sin. There was a time when we were in desperate need of grace, in desperate need of forgiveness. And this is why the Scriptures say, Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, 
forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. The fourth of our specific stand firm church commands that Paul gives is is to respond to worry with thankful prayer. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not worry. Boy, that is easier said than done, isn't it? I tell you, I know some folks who, who just about make themselves sick worrying. That word worry in the original language in the Greek uh, conveys the idea of of division, to, to be drawn apart or in two different directions. The, the English word for worry has a, has a really interesting origin. It comes from an old German word, worgen, which literally means to strangle. And that's what worry does to our joy. It strangles it. Warren Worsby once said, worry is the greatest thief of joy. It is not enough for us to, however, to tell ourselves to quit worrying because That will never capture the thief. The antidote to worry is the peace of God. The peace of God guards like a soldier. With that kind of protection, God guarding you, God guiding you. He says, why worry? J.R. Rice, he once said, worrying is putting a question mark where God puts a period. See, the answer to worry is God's peace. And the vehicle for that peace, Paul says, is thankful prayer. He says, in thankful prayer, the Lord promises His peace will guard our hearts. That word guard is is like garrison or sentinel our hearts. That we will be secure under God's watchful eye. Our our fifth specific stand firm church command that Paul gives to us today is to meditate on biblical virtues. Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. And I I can tell you, I could go on forever about the Greek definition of each of those virtues, but I think we kind of get the idea. Paul says to the Philippian church about the stability of the church, he lets us know that one of the great keys to godly living is godly thinking. And what I'm talking about is is meditating on that which is biblical and surrendering all of our thoughts to Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. When Paul says, think about these things, that that word think there means more than just give a passing thought to. Uh, The the original word is logazomai, which is is interesting because that's the same word we get our English word logarithm from. It means to compute, to calculate, to take into account. It refers to a process of careful study of of meditating on the Lord and the Scriptures. And 
And I want you to look at this verse. I think this is interesting. That's why Paul kind of takes his time with this verse. Notice on this verse all of the pauses, the commas. He repeats over and over again the repetitions. Whatever is true. Whatever is noble. Whatever is right. Because we're, we're to, to methodically meditate and contemplate on that which is biblical. I want to say, uh, I have to confess that this particular verse is, is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. And um, there have been times in my life, there, there's a couple of verses in the Bible where I'll, I'll tell you, um, when I'm feeling burdened, or when I'm feeling uh, heavy laden, or just inadequate, or, or when, I, when I stand in front of people and preach a sermon and I think to myself, oh boy, Nick, what have you gotten yourself into? Uh, there's a couple of verses that I usually go over in my mind before I come up and I preach a sermon. And the first one is from Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. I often pray, Lord, give me, give me the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then I so often will pray this verse when those thoughts of inadequacy or those thoughts of doubt or worry come. I pray to the Lord, Lord, I just pray that whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything that's excellent or praiseworthy, help me to think about those things. And I, I pray this morning that you have some scripture that you have memorized and meditated on that you can come to that's, that's like a wellspring for you that gives you strength because Memorizing and, and meditating on the Word of God is, is a haven for the mind and it's an oasis for the soul. Right, our, our sixth and final specific stand firm church command that Paul gives is to follow the example of those who are pursuing Christ. Follow the example of those pursuing Christ. Paul says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. And I want to remind you, in, in the days of the early church, there was, there was no shortage of philosophers and theorists and thinkers. So it's appropriate that Paul ends this stand firm section on church stability with an appeal to application to putting things into practice. Because godly thinking cannot be divorced from our behavior. And Paul, what does Paul say for us to do? Paul basically says, do what I do. He says, whatever you have learned, received, heard, or seen in me, do that. I mean, if that wasn't coming from the Apostle Paul, that might sound a bit egotistical, wouldn't it? Paul says, if you want the peace of God, simply do what I do. Yeah, that might come across as a little bold. But we should ask ourselves, what was the Apostle Paul doing? Look back to Philippians 3.12, and I'll tell you, Paul was humble. He said, not that I have already been made perfect, but he says, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Christ had taken hold in Paul and Paul was pressing on 
toward and pursuing Christ. So what Paul isn't saying, he's not saying, follow me. What Paul is essentially saying is, follow me as I follow and pursue Christ. And as you do, God's peace will be with you. As I close this morning, I want to share one last story that that I feel really illustrates this idea of following the example of those who pursue Christ. Francis Chan, uh, who's a pastor out west, he tells this story about how he had a speaker come to his church one time, and the speaker was a missionary. They were a missionary from Papua New Guinea, which is one of the hardest missions fields that there are, who lived in the jungle for, for Probably 20 years, he translated the New Testament into the tribal language. I mean, this man had just an amazing life for Christ. But what the missionary talked about was how at the end of the day, he was so influenced by his youth pastor, this guy who was named Vaughn. And in the story, Francis Chan says, what was crazy about this was that the next week at their church, they had another speaker. And this speaker came in and was talking about sponsoring children and how uh, you, know, they, you, you need to, to help these children who are starving and hungry. And he said, you know, I, I really got it started in this ministry because of the effect and the influence of my youth pastor, whose name was Vaughn. And, and Francis Chan, after the service, he went up to one of his friends, Dan, and said, man, was Wasn't that crazy? Isn't that weird? I mean, it was the same guy. And his friend Dan said to him, oh, I know Pastor Vaughn also. And by this time, Francis Chan is like, seriously? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, yeah, I was in Mexico with Vaughn one time. And Dan tells this story where he was with Vaughn walking around in the dumps of Tijuana. And and these kids who were just desperate for for food and for clothing, they came running up to Vaughn and they knew Vaughn because they knew that he he came there all the time and he'd give them food and clothing and he would love them and and show the love of Christ to them. And the villagers just knew that Vaughn was this this man of, of love, this man of Christ. And Dan said, he said, you know, the crazy thing was the whole time that I was walking with Vaughn, I thought, I think this is what it would feel like to have walked with Jesus. Like if Jesus was on earth, this is kind of what it would feel like. And Dan said to Francis Chan, it was, it was almost eerie sometimes. And, and Francis Chan's point in that story was that it's not just about knowing the Word of God. It's not just about knowing information. It's about actually becoming like Him. It's not just knowing the words of Jesus. You know, when we, when we look for our leaders and for our teachers in the church and when we evaluate our next senior pastor, it's not just about having the knowledge of the Scriptures. It's not just about being able to speak well. It's about those who live it out. We're looking for someone who we feel has become like Christ. You know, I hear stories like that about Pastor Vaughn and I think to myself, you know, I know as a pastor I'm going to influence people for good or for bad. And what I pray is that what people see in me or remember of me is 
what I have done to follow Christ. Because that's our, our model. Our model is discipleship. Our peace and our stability in the church is built on the teachings of Christ, the gospel of Christ, and believers modeling Christ to others. So as we close this morning, my prayer is just that our church, both corporately and individually, would put into practice that which we have learned from the Word, which is biblically virtuous. And as we practice what we've learned, we've received, we've heard, and seen in those pressing on towards Christ, that the peace of God would guard us and give us joy as we stand firm. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you again for this church. I thank you that you have been so faithful. And I pray, Father, as our church continues to wait for your leading and your direction, Lord, I pray that you would enable us by your strength to stand firm. Thank you, Lord, that when we feel anxious and when we worry, that we can always come to you that we can always be thankful and that your peace guards us and that you are faithful to us. I pray, Father, that you would allow our church in, in, in our minds to, to submit and surrender even our, our thoughts to you. I pray that you would lead us in greater devotion and obedience to your word. Lord, I pray, Father, for our church that, that we would more than, that we would know more than just knowledge and things about your son i pray father that for our church we would become more like your son and as we press on toward this goal of of christ jesus father we thank you for the joy that you've given us we pray all this again in the name and authority of your son amen